This podcast is brought to you by GoDaddy.com. Enter hitched749, all one word, to get your .com domain at $7.49. Again, hitched749 to get your next .com domain for $7.49 at GoDaddy.com. You really want to know what love is? Yeah. Yes, tell us. More than anything in the world, Ron. Well... It's really quite simple. When you're married, you'll understand the importance of fresh produce. Shut up. Just shut up. You had me at hello. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. This is Steve Cooper, editor-in-chief of HitchedMag.com. This week, we have a very special guest on. We have the author of a new book, No Cheating, No Dying, I Had a Good Marriage, Then I Tried to Make It Better, by Elizabeth Weil. Uh, Elizabeth is a writer who writes for the New York Times Magazine, and her and her husband, Dan, uh, set out to uh, improve an already good marriage, and so they took marriage courses. They read many books. Uh, she dug through the research. They did workshops. They participated in exercises. They went to therapy. And this book uh, digs through their experience and, as well as telling the story of their relationship. And it, it's a great book. I definitely recommend you pick it up and read it. And this week I interviewed Elizabeth and so without further ado, here is that interview. When you first uh, thought of this book about improving your marriage, how did you decide where your marriage needed improvement? You know, it all happened pretty organically. Um, and that I started out by realizing I wasn't thinking very hard about my marriage, that I was sort of coasting, and that everything was good, but because it was all good, I wasn't paying too much attention to it, which isn't to say that we didn't have particular fights, but it was more an attitude I wanted to bring to my marriage more than uh, an effort to solve a specific problem. Okay. And, you know, I was really excited when I first heard about your book and that your backstory, and you just mentioned it, uh, didn't come from a, you know, you're, you're, you're not cheating, you're not dying, uh, you don't have a broken marriage, and... Um, you really just wanted to improve. Did it surprise you when you were looking at all the self-help books um, about how many of them are written from that perspective? It did. You know, I think like a lot of people, I was sort of afraid of self-help books about marriage. I thought self-help books about marriage would be for people who were in big trouble. <laughs> that, <laughs> I, that um. You know, that they were the kind of thing that you would want to, you know, shove under your arm as you walked up to the counter in the bookstore. And that, it, that somehow I was a little embarrassed about the idea of working on marriage. And then, as you know, once, once you sort of enter that world, you realize a lot of people are thinking this way. But when you're outside of it, um, there's a feeling that it's not for you or that you don't need it or that if you did need it, it was admitting defeat in some way. Why, why do you think that is? Why do you think people um, are afraid to uh, try to improve their marriage, even if it is in a good place? 
Well, I think change is scary. I, mean, I think a few things. I think marriage is intensely private for people, um, and so we don't talk about it with each other, with our friends and our family in the same way we might talk about issues with raising children. Mm-hmm. So that I think that um, raises the bar of, of seeking help if you think, well, maybe everybody else's marriage is more perfect than mine. And so, so um, there's a fear in opening things up. And then I also think because marriage is a partnership, change is more scary. You know, what if you start discussing something that you've sort of implicitly negotiated in your lives, whether it's how you're going to spend your money or how you're going to spend your vacation time or whatever it might be, and you start discussing this with your spouse and you you disagree more than you thought, you know, are you going to wind up making a change that puts you farther away from your ideal? Mm -hmm. And so I think the attitude of maybe it's better to just leave well enough alone sinks in. Do you find it funny that people will seek... uh just an enormous amount of advice when it comes to parenting because everybody just pretty much agrees parenting is like, you know, there's no handbook on how to be a parent, but people don't have that same attitude towards marriage. Like we're assumed to know how to have a relationship because we got married. So much. I think it's fascinating how comfortable we are in seeking expert advice about raising children. You know, I have, I have a, six-year-old and a nine-year-old, you know, I'm in the thick of it. And everybody, you know, talks about the issues their kids are having with each other, with fairly casual friends, with your child's teacher. Um, You know, there are all these people that you're having discussions with about, am I doing it right? Could I be doing it better relative to a child? And people are not having those same conversations about their marriage. And I, I do think it's fascinating. And I think it's particular perhaps to the to this age we're living in now where there's a lot of talk about you know sort of the professionalization of parenting because so many people are having children later and um but we haven't brought that attitude towards marriage which isn't to say i advocate sort of like <laughs> you know a helicopter <laughs> you know spouse spousing whatever we might call it yeah um but it can be really helpful it was very helpful for us uh, you have uh, an entire chapter on how we really don't know what makes a successful marriage. Uh, did that surprise you or discourage you from moving forward when you started digging into the research? Well, I found it fascinating that we really know so little, you know, that science has brought so little to our understanding of love and marriage. I was very surprised by that. And once you start digging into the research, it doesn't become less muddled. <laughs> you know, we, we don't, the human heart is really complicated. Marriage is constantly shifting and complex and personal. Um, so my main feeling was surprise that there wasn't more, um, you know, more of a solid base to stand on. But I eventually really came to embrace that and came to feel, at least in my life, that that it doesn't matter what's right for the couple next door or it doesn't matter what's right for the, you know, the 2,500 couples that some professor at UCLA surveys for his study. What matters is what's right for you and figuring out what's right for you. Now, you um, 
call out a couple people in your book, and I was, for example, John Gottsman and his uh, research. Have you taken any flack for that? You know, the points I make about Gottman have been made by many journalists <laughs> before <laughs> me. So, um, no, I haven't. I, I didn't break any ground there, though. <laughs> okay. Um, now, you your book is stuffed with uh, exercises and uh, research and, and therapy classes and workshops and things. Um, with all the marriage improvement exercises that you tried, which one did you think was the most difficult to do? Well, in some ways, the marriage education was the most difficult to do for several reasons. When we did it early, um, and we were still in that phase I was talking about of being somewhat embarrassed and uncomfortable with the idea that we were doing this marriage improvement ourselves. Uh-huh. Um, and I also think we had a lot of resistance, as many couples do, I think, to thinking that there was a general solution at all to our problems, that, you know, marriage education is a system that, you know, has been put in place that should work for everybody. It's not about you in particular. And I think particularly with love and romance, we don't want to think we're just like everybody else. We want to think we're special. Yeah. <laughs> and we are special. But... um we also are all human beings, and there are things in common, and we all need empathy. Um, so so the, the marriage education was challenging for us because in some ways it felt like going to driver's ed. It felt like going to some very general class, and I didn't want to think that my marriage was that way, but it wound up really helping us. Yeah, in your book you talk about how you came across uh, doing one of those exercises where you had a real connection that you hadn't really felt before, right? It was fascinating. It was a really simple exercise where we were supposed to just speak as each other. That Dan told me a story, and then I had to tell that story back as if I were him and try to really capture what he was feeling in that situation. And, you know, Dan and I are both writers. We talk all the time. We're really worried people. And it was so powerful to be telling a story as him, to, to really be sitting there and trying to sort of be him, not just listening to him, but really embody that. Um, and it was a really, really big thing for us to have done early on to realize that as close as we were and as good at communicating as we thought we were, there was still a big gap between us Mm -hmm. and that there were tricks we could use. There were things other people knew (laughs) (laughs) uh, that we could bring into our life that would help and it felt goofy and it felt strange to be like doing this exercise where I'm pretending I'm my husband, but but it was really powerful. Now, that's one of the things that I loved about reading your book was you talk a lot about how awkward some of this stuff was and how it seemed lame and goofy. Um, when, when you started telling friends and family what you were doing and the things that the exercises that you had done, did you get that kind of same reaction? Were people more understanding or do you find yourself even cringing when you talk about telling stories from the perspective of your husband? Yeah, I don't cringe now, but it was, (laughs) 
it was almost universal and that when we would tell people early on we were doing these things and particularly exercises like that for marriage education people would look at us like we were crazy they would look at us like i would rather you know get my thumbnails pulled out than do that and then we would be there after we had done it saying no 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 it's great you should really do it and it's one of those things that um you have to do for yourself and um Someone had told me that before we went to our first marriage education class. Diane Soli, I bet you uh-huh. know her. Yeah, uh-huh. You know, she had said to me, I first came to Sana, and I was assigned a story to write about marriage education as a journalist first, um, or while I was in this, and, you know, she said to me, don't do that. You, you have to do it. You know, <laughs> and you can't just go and listen to other people do it. You have to do it yourself to know what it's like. And I really agree with that. You have to do it yourself. You can think it's silly and you can think you're above that, but I'm not sure who is. Mm-hmm. So with with all the um, experiencing that you did and all the reading that you did, how much uh, of the self-help, uh, marriage self-help industry do you think is just worthless? You know, I don't know because – what might not have been so helpful for us may be very helpful for somebody else. So, you know, I don't know how much of the marriage health self industry is worthless. Um, maybe none. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, so, so uh, in saying that, then, um, what uh, resource um, or exercise did you find uh, most helpful? Well, the one you mentioned was was very helpful in that it it really is what got us going. Um, You know, we found traditional therapy very helpful in that there were fights we were having that we didn't understand why we were having them. Uh And it really helped to be airing them out in front of a really smart third party. Um, you know, sex therapy wound up being surprisingly helpful in that, that too, it's not that we felt we couldn't talk about sex, but we talked about it so much better having, you know, a dedicated place and time to do it. Um, the, in some ways, the only things that felt not so helpful in the long run were sort of seeking other people's opinions about what our marriage should be like. Mm. You know, so so seeking people's opinions about how we should be running our financial life, that that stuff wound up feeling less helpful in the end, in that um, it was helpful to a degree, but it was more of other people's ideas about what marriage should be like in general that didn't necessarily work for us in particular. Uh-huh. Um, And so I feel like all the exercises where people were trying to help us understand ourselves were incredibly powerful. And then the things where we sort of went to somebody else to say to them, well, how should we do it? Uh You know, what should our lives look like? That felt less useful. Gotcha. Okay. I mean, uh, having gone through to get on all this third-party help, do you you think that somebody, um, if they were trying to, truly improve their marriage do you think they need to go to a third party to to get that outside perspective you know not necessarily as you know there are tons of books and you know we had some really big experiences with books in particular 
reading Stephen Mitchell's Ken Love Last was really, really helpful to me. Mm-hmm. But in the end, I did feel like it was useful to go somewhere and talk to somebody, both because just the investment of time and, in some cases, money made us really focused on it when <laughs> we were there. You know, when we're in our house, just like everybody there, there are kids who need things and there are dishes to do and the phone rings and, you know, there are many distractions. So it did help to go have a third party. And also, you know, it was really helpful to, in some cases and with, with therapy to have someone looking at us from the outside and say, you know, ask a smart question or say, this is what I'm seeing. Does that seem right to you? Mm-hmm. Now, now, um, throughout your book, I loved how you tell stories of your relationship history um, as you're going through these exercises and weaving that all together, did you find that revisiting so many of these, so many of these stories, helped your marriage? Well, in some cases, yes, and in some cases, no. <laughs> you, you, yeah, you talk about shaking the bush and the snakes coming out. <laughs> well, there's that, but also, so there's um, as with any book, you know, you don't write endless scenes about the boring days. You yeah. know, you, you write about the stuff that was momentous, and so some of the most painful parts of our life are in there. Yeah. Uh, and so those, of course, were painful to write. And Dan read many drafts of the book and they were painful for him to read. Um, so in some ways it was helpful to process and in some ways it was difficult. I mean, you bring up the painful stuff. Uh, one of the main points of pain in your book is uh, the loss of a son that you guys experienced. Did Dan, your husband, have a hard time? You mentioned a lot of it in the book, but did he have a hard time you doing this book and being so open about your experiences? Yes and no. You know, he's a writer, so he was very understanding. And he was, of course, (laughs) um, on board with it. I would have never written the book without him feeling okay about it. Um, and so, uh, he so he he feels good about about the project. He feels good about the book. There are times when people have reactions to the book or or to things. Other pieces I've written about our marriage where that can be difficult. You know, if, if someone walks up to him and says, "Oh my God, how could you let your wife write that?" Uh. Um, that feels bad. The social interaction of that feels bad. But the words on the page, he's comfortable with. Okay. Uh, was there any point in the process that you thought maybe this improving your marriage project was not such a good idea? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, Dan and I aren't the same religion. And once we started poking into that, um, I really felt like, ooh, this is not a good idea. We were Because we were actually in an okay place with it on our own and that was one of the instances where stirring the pot really raised a lot of problems that didn't really exist for us exactly you know maybe they would have come up someday but we weren't having them and and getting lots of other people's opinions particularly about how we were raising our children relative to religion turned out to be not at all helpful we just needed to keep that conversation in our house between us and make the decisions that felt right for our family. Mm-hmm. 
without a lot of regard to how other people thought we should be doing it. Yeah. <laughs> you guys were doing better off just kind of, you kind of had this uh, silent understanding about the situation. Do you think you guys would have been better off just keeping that way and moving forward that way instead of raising that issue to the surface? I think so in the end. You know, we're over it. We recovered. <laughs> but we had some big fights we didn't, that weren't helpful. Uh-huh. <laughs> we had some big fights that were caused by virtue of deciding to poke around in all the corners of our marriage and see if anything could be better. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, did and the answer in that case was no, not right now. Can't be better. <laughs> could be worse. Let's not go there. Did you did you guys have more fights during the process of uh, doing this book than you normally have? Yes, we did. <laughs> um, so you know we had fights like that about religion, which I feel like were not productive. Uh-huh. But then we had a lot of fights that actually were productive. You know, in the in in the sense of that there were issues below the surface, that it was good to have them come out. I mean, one way I sort of think about it is that, you know, we had some little splinters in there in our relationship and we decided to, excuse me, and we decided to pull them out. And so, yes, there were some fights that we probably wouldn't have had that year, Uh but I think they would have caused much bigger problems in the long run had we not, you know, sorted things out. You know, in particular... We, we had some tension, as almost every couple does, around in-laws. Um, and Dan, my, my parents have a, have a condo about an hour from our house, and I would take the kids there sometimes, and Dan didn't like to go, and we would have all these fights about it that I didn't understand very well. Mm. And then during the process, we actually had even more fights about it, but, but they helped us understand what the problem was, and then the fight stopped. Okay. Now, would uh, having gone through this process, um, would you recommend that other couples who think they have a good marriage should try to shake things up and improve it? Absolutely. Absolutely. It, it wound up being so valuable for us. And that, you know, it sounds corny to say, but like our marriage really is better. We understand each other better. Um, we're more empathetic to one another, you know, that it, it, it really was valuable. And I completely recommend taking the time to, to, to pay attention to your marriage and really become alive to each other before you're in a crisis. As you know, it's so hard to fix things once you're in a crisis. Mm-hmm. But if you're at a basically good place with each other, there's a lot of trust and respect there in which... And you can make changes from that place. It really does work. Do you, I mean, having read all the literature and all the research and, and talked with all the experts, do you think there is such a thing as a perfect marriage? No, of course not. <laughs> I don't think there is such thing as a perfect person. And so if you put two people together, um, you know, you're, you're not going to get perfect. Um but I don't think we should be trying for perfect. Perfect is too difficult, you know, and perfect you're going to feel like you're failing because you're not going to get there. Uh, maybe that's an unfair question. Do you, um, because in the beginning you were kind of trying to figure out where you could improve your marriage um, because you had a good marriage and you're trying to see uh, what a great marriage looks like. 
Do you know what that looks like yet? Um, I'm sorry. Can you repeat that one more time? Um, yeah, yeah. So you talk about how you have this good marriage and you're trying to make it a great marriage. Mm-hmm. How, how would you define that? How would you define a great marriage in comparison to a good marriage? Oh, that's a hard question because I don't think it's the same for everybody. But I guess in my case, I would feel like the good marriage was a lot of fun. We communicated well. We, you know, we enjoyed each other. Everything was was good. But we had some blind spots to each other. Um, And I feel like the great marriage, um, that we more seamlessly... um, connect with with each other's needs or that are more seamlessly being really aware of how is the situation for the other person um i feel like i'm not answering this very well it's a hard it's a hard <laughs> question to do you, well, define um, but i do feel like there's some way in which i it's more integrated just into the forefront of my mind and you know and any given thing that comes up any day of how is this for dan Mm. That there's a way in which I thought a good marriage um, was making our marriage more what I thought a good marriage should be. It's a little hard to explain, but, you know, we all have models in our mind of what a good marriage is. And my parents have been married for almost 50 years. I thought that looked pretty good. And so when something would come up, I would sort of be striving for that. But that's not actually what the best marriage is in my house and in my life. You know, and I, that, that sort of keeping our, my focus a little narrower even, you know, just on us. What is best for us? Um, I think in the end, that's what really turned out to be helpful. Mm-hmm. Now, in the, in the beginning, you talk about how you have a good marriage. Would you define your marriage as great now that you've been through the process? <laughs> <laughs> I think so. I mean, people look at you like cross-eyed <laughs> if you tell them that. Um, By the way, I think there's nothing wrong with telling somebody that you think you have a great marriage, right? Because um, you... I do. I, I I really think I have a great marriage. I mean, I think that I am lucky every mm-hmm. day uh, that that I think I found a great person, and I think we we have a great life together. Um, so yeah. <laughs> uh, now, um, when now that the book is out. Uh, what do you hope couples will get out of reading this book? You know, I hope people talk to each other. The most gratifying response that I get, and I get it a lot, is, you know, I read your book and I had the most intense conversation with my spouse. Or I read your book and I so related to it. Because, of course, my marriage is not important to anybody, really, but me and Dan and our children, Uh you know? But... Every everybody else's marriage is important to them, you know, that that I had written a piece about our marriage in the New York Times and, and one of the criticisms was is why is your marriage news? Why is your marriage important? And it's not. But <laughs> but everybody's marriage is important to themselves and we all need ways of thinking about it and, and talking about it. And that's what reading can do for people. Yeah. Um so that's what I hope happens. I hope people read the book and they think about it and they have a great conversation at home and and you know they bring it into their own lives Mm -hmm. 
And uh, I know we're about out of time here. Um, at, the, at the end of your book, you say that the project has ended for now. Do you find that you're still, now that you've gone through this process, that you um, are still working to improve it? Is that, I mean, you kind of talked about that a little bit, about being in the forefront of your mind. Sure, but I feel like we're more in a phase of integrating all this stuff that we learned. You know, I wouldn't want to spend my whole life paying so much overt attention Mm -hmm. and so much time and energy. Um, But I do feel like it comes up all the time while we're having a conversation or some little thing will happen and I'll find myself, you know, thinking about something we learned or I'll find myself talking to Dan in a way I'll realize you know, reflects all that effort we put in. Mm-hmm. So really you've kind of gathered this new skill set, would you say? That you're I feel like we gathered this new skill set. And I imagine someday in the future there'll be another wave of more deliberate effort, mm-hmm. you know, that we'll have another tune-up or spring cleaning or whatever you want to call it. Um, but for now we're sort of, you know using what we we picked up. Um, So thank you so much, Elizabeth. I I really appreciate your time. You're welcome. Before we go, I want to let you know you can actually follow Elizabeth on Twitter. It's at Liz Weil. Uh, You can also get more information at her website, elizabethweil.net. And uh, we will link to her book, No Cheating, No Dying, I Had a Good Marriage, Then I Tried to Make It Better. Uh, We will put a link to that uh, on the article that we're publishing, as well as next to the link for the podcast on our website. So if you are interested in this book, you can find a link to purchase it uh, at Amazon through our Amazon bookstore that we have going. Um, So I hope you guys enjoyed the interview. And until next time, thanks. say one thing to my wife who's home. Yo, Adrian! I did it! They certainly got the idea. They feel free to express love. It's worth all those awful frank discussions at the dining room table. Hitched entertains, educates, and inspires married couples.